All right, welcome to MatchCast. Today we have another very special guest. I'm joined with by Aaron Orndorff. We actually had a chance to meet at the Unbounds conference in Vancouver this past year, and he really stole the show talking about a lot of his tricks in content strategy. So Aaron, welcome to the pod. Oh, thanks so much, Brian, and uh, what a great compliment to come out of the gate with. You know how to suck up. <laughs> Always. Uh, well, talking about content, how did you find yourself in this world? But that is an interesting story. You know, I hinted at it at the very end of my talk uh, at the CTA conference. It was one of these sort of necessity is the mother of invention. My life essentially fell apart about three and a half years ago. So I found myself in Southern Oregon, middle of nowhere, lost my job, all kinds of crazy personal stuff was going down. So I, I jumped in with both feet to this content marketing world, started my own blog, and just had some really incredible points of contact, just these insane little coincidences that really led into getting published on a few big sites that I had no business writing for at that point. And then I was off and running. Big snowball. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, used the hashtag, let's get rejected at the conference. And I think that's really important for content marketers to understand coming into this world in that most of the stuff you're gonna put out, at least initially, is getting rejected. It's not going to find traction, but you really need to stick with it. Yeah. So it's a vital principle in my own professional life. I mean, that's kind of how I tried to couch it or explain it at the conference. And you're right. I mean, the thing is, uh, especially if you yourself are a writer, but I got to think this is true across the board for even like you're launching products. I talk to a lot of clients that have the same experience and it's easy to get dejected by being rejected, build your identity into whether or not people say yes or buy from you and that burnout, the failure that comes along with it. And so arming myself with this idea of my goal with this pitch my goal with this article, my goal with this client is to just get rejected. It gave me this like freedom to go after things that I would have otherwise been straight up terrified and scared of doing and it would have stopped me in my tracks. Talked a lot about thinking counterintuitively and I think that's so important in all of marketing. People tend to get stuck in a rut and be sitting at the board and listen or regurgitate to what the CEO is saying. But it's so important to really take on all your marketing principles and rethink them and th think about it. Is there a better way Can you talk about that a little bit? One of the things I tell new clients is uh, the most valuable time we're going to spend together. Like the most valuable I'm going to be to you is in the first two weeks because I'm going to come in as an outsider and I'm not probably going to write anything. We're not going to produce anything, but what I'm going to have is fresh eyes that you and your team and your organization are blind to. So that comes up in the thinking counterintuitively there. But also, uh, you know, the biggest place I see this is I had this kind of throwaway line in the CTA conf talk where uh, I said, I'm not a journalist, but I play one on the internet. I think we all start up that way. Yeah, right. And so I've written for a few places like the Fast Company, Business Insider, Entrepreneur. I got this great list of bylines. And so I get these pitches. That's the, one of the main things I was trying to talk about in my first point there about popular content. I get these pitches for exposure, for outreach, for getting featured. And so many of them are just really self-centered. And that's the biggest first sort of pitfall that counterintuitive comes in to try to 
to correct is uh, you've got to step out of your own shoes. So whether it's that having an outsider's view, not using the insider talk, how do you communicate to people who are just like me for those first two weeks, a true outsider to your product, to your blog. But it really, yeah, it applies to so many of these areas that counterintuitive. And so let's get rejected is the best way I know to like shock people with that, but it works itself out in, in so many ways. Well, taking a step back and just talking about content marketing in general, can you talk about why it's so valuable to businesses, yet so many businesses still overlook it as a tactic in their overall marketing plan? You know, at MatchNode, we're really focused on a lot of direct response ads and direct response getting traffic. And we don't do a lot of content marketing. We do it internally, but we don't do it a lot for our customers. Yet when I'm looking at a lot of our clients, they're really suffering from a lack of content marketing. Here's what I would say. I cut my teeth on Joe Polish and Dean Jackson's I Love Marketing podcast. So I was thrown in with uh, you know both feet into this direct response world. And those are the people that even on the, the content marketing side, like the Joanna Weebs, the copy hackers, those kind of folks, I don't think there's a, there has to be a disconnect between the two. So like, for instance, with, uh, with the Joe Polish stuff, one of the first things I absolutely stole from him, and he, he said this in the podcast, go ahead and steal from me, was his like consumer buyer guide. And it's a way of establishing trust, getting somebody into your funnel, having them raise their hand with their email. You're giving them something to guide them through the process of purchasing whatever it is you're in the business of. So just because you're doing content does not mean you have to be shy about getting a response. Whether it's a, a sign up at the end of your blog post for an email list that's focused specifically on that, or like reviews, ebooks, all that kind of stuff is very much like the overlap between content marketing and actually getting somebody to take action and do something. Good copy is so key to conversion. Oh, heck yeah. I can't say that enough. And not only because that's what people actually pay me for, although <laughs> I do have a dog in the fight. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive a little bit into the meat of your talk at the conference. You spoke around three lies was the way you structured your talk. And lie number one is that when it comes to creating popular content, you think it's about you. Yeah, it's not about you. It's about them. And so it was kind of a risky point. I'll be honest with you. It was a risky point to bring up at a place like Unbounce, which is super focused on conversion, CRO, A-B testing, that kind of thing. Because really that whole point was about popular content which sure. meant it was about what are usually considered vanity metrics. But an intentional use of those to build authority, to establish social proof, to get yourself featured, your product featured, your business featured in these outreach emails that are often, like I said, so insanely self-focused that I have no, no interest in replying to somebody who throws me a pitch like that. Sure. Ah, and so it's like that whole, um, you know, popularity in high school, in the real world, is shallow, but that doesn't mean you should ignore it. Yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't work. You just have to know what you're doing with it. You know, what's the idea behind it? And so it really it is that sort of first step in my content marketing, the stuff that I do for myself to get myself seen, noticed, established, linked back to, and seen as like a trusted authority in that realm. And that's where vanity metrics speak for themselves. Like when someone sees a ton of comments on a blog post or, uh, you know, all the shares or the retweets or that it's trending here, that doesn't immediately equal into someone's going to buy from me or it's going to sell something, but it does create these incredible leverage points, which, which just like content marketing are about being trusted, being seen as an authority so that when someone goes into that buyer mode, you're at the top of their mind. Awesome. Can you talk about your process a little bit for unearthing popular content? I thought it was fascinating. Yes, it's so shallow and- It works. That's the thing about it. It is, it works. And so a lot of your listeners 
probably familiar with things like Google Trends or BuzzSumo. And I am not an SEO anything, you know, ninja, guru, fill in the blank. I can basically fake it far enough using plugins on my own post, that kind of thing. Know enough to be dangerous. What would I really use something like Google Trends for, which uh, will give you exactly what it sounds like, what's trending on search right now. And you can also dig into historical data. They do a great job of breaking it down into topics for celebrity, news stories, business, finance, sports, all that kind of stuff. So the example that I used was uh, the, the first time that I wrote for Entrepreneur, right? I had no name, no byline. Uh, it felt like I was sort of jumping the line. Like you're supposed to publish at all these small places, build a portfolio, and then go after the big dogs. I just didn't want to do that. So I had had a few pitches rejected, which is great. Let's get rejected. And I got tired of that. So I just said, all right, what's the overlap here between what is trending right now on Google? And so this was a couple of years ago. I jumped in, found out that uh, Mindy Cowling from Fox's Mindy Project hit this all-time high, like maxed out their trending score in the, the summer of, I think it was 2012 or 2013. I didn't know who she was. Maybe I'd seen the show once or twice, but I wasn't a big fan. But I was like, all right, if people are looking for her, then I can easily do an overlap with entrepreneurial lessons, like the Mindy Cowling Guide to Entrepreneurial Domination. And that's what I put together. And it was really just this hodgepodge. It was probably the easiest article I'd written. It's so embarrassing. I'd spent all this time trying to get like, you know, densely researched and, and the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing, those things got rejected. And so I just did this super shallow, put it together, five points, less than a thousand words. And then I, I emailed it to every person I could find on the entrepreneur.com website that had like the title editor and online for their job description. And it, it was the thing that opened the door because it was it was obvious to them it was trending. It was a great overlap. It was popular, easy. Awesome. Well, line number two really speaks to something I think about on, on just a daily basis for all of our clients. And it's when it comes to producing salesworthy content, you think it's about sales. Right. But really, it's not. It's about salvation. It's about their needs. Yeah. And so you hear that all the time. You know, you, you, uh, whether it's like a breakdown between features and benefits kind of thing, and so you sell the emotional experience. But what I found is really helpful is to frame it and then kind of try to ratchet it up a little bit. So I do, I talk about that whole idea of salvation. The two questions are, what is the hell this fill in the blank? And this can be product, landing page, video, blog post. What's the hell this is going to save people from? So you're, you're really wide-eyed about the pain that they're in, that emotional need, and then the what is the heaven this will deliver them unto. So the payoff that they get from it. And so I, I go after this kind of in two ways. First off, stealing from the audience I'm targeting, going to places like Facebook, social media. You mentioned YouTube, which was... <laughs> yeah, YouTube, like the dark underbelly of the internet is the YouTube comments section. YouTube comments, always always a treat. That's always what treat. people are really thinking. Uh, you want raw like uh, feedback, man, jump into there. It's a scary place to be. But yeah, Facebook, or especially, you know, I get a lot of traction road to run on out of Amazon and not just my own clients reviews, but especially reviews from similar product. Look at the competitors. This is what I loved about the product. This is where it sort of fell short. This was my expectation and why I didn't meet that. And so I'm able to go in and really have this treasure trove of these are the actual words they're using. And when I can use their words, there's this immediate identification that can take place with that salvation idea. This is how they're crafting their own hell. This is how they're describing their own heaven and, you know, ripping that off 
Now, we do the same thing basically in reverse with our Facebook audiences, where we're looking at customer data and having Facebook analyze it to find different interests and demographic data. And that's where we're always mining to target our ads a little bit better. Yeah. But the copy that associated with those ads really needs to come from that qualitative uh, search. Yeah, so I, I try to do this kind of like divide between like for popular stuff, it's really easy to look at the numbers because it's just the raw numbers, sure. what's trending, what's popular, what's getting shared. Uh, but if I need to go one step beyond that to actually make sales-worthy content, then that's where I need the qualitative, the actual words they're using. Yep. Well, line number three, brand-defining content is about success. And you brought up one campaign that immediately resonated with hopefully all of our listeners that at some point in time have ordered a pizza from Domino's. So I talked a little bit about that's that, that brand-defining content is not about success, it's about failure. And there was this great emphasis like throughout the conference. And what I've seen over and over again is this a focus on vulnerability, the word authenticity, being a human and speaking to other humans. And so it's easy to see how you can do that at a personal level. And I shared a couple of examples. Um, John Morrow had a fantastic post. Rand from Moz had a fantastic post as well. And even did a little bit of that in his, his own presentation at the conference. But the disconnect comes in, the real lie comes in when you're moving from that personal branding into an actual business. Now I think it has to be best faced forward, the best stats, I gotta look good, right? And that's like the drive for ego and pride at that business level. And most people will see right through that. Coming out of that lie too, the hell they're in, if all you're doing is presenting yourself as this like, you know, salvation figure, the heaven that you're enjoying, people far more connect over what you've done wrong, over your failures than your successes. Which builds your authenticity. And that's like the test is, the, the test for authenticity isn't so much voice, it's are you willing to share the dark stuff, the failures, personal and professional. So the one you were talking about, that Domino's, man, I mean, I just ate that up for, you know, at the risk of doing a terrible pun. Because they had this like really full scale content. I mean, they had a, a documentary, they had traditional advertising, they had an entire website built around this um, pizza rescue sort of campaign where they led with, we know our pizza sucks. Like actual, you know, real customer comments and reviews, like the crust is cardboard, the sauce is ketchup. They were just insanely open-handed about, yeah, we have blown it as a business and this is what we're doing. And they were honest. I mean, I'm not really a pizza eater, pretty healthy guy in general, but I definitely ordered a Domino's pizza after they went their rebrand because of that one, it was such great marketing. And two, I was so curious. Oh, and that's a great thing. To, yeah. What a good emotion to talk about too curious because authenticity creates the connection because the, their new CEO came in and he was like, the face of it, which is great because then you actually connected with a person who's sharing it. And they did all these great profile pieces as well on their different like chefs and the local people. And they had this one great ad with a dude who was like folding boxes, like this almost kind of YouTube feel of this phenom who can fold boxes. So all that lended to their humanity, but it came down to that they shared their failures, their sure. darkest points. And then even uh, years before Uber, you could actually see your pizza delivery driver. You see his name that he's coming to deliver your pizza. I mean, going back to that start of, you know, my jump into this whole thing was really on the heels of this enormous failure. Losing my job professionally, the, the personal failures that I went through, adopting that ethos for myself of let's get rejected, and then being willing to share about that stuff on my blog and even kind of moving that out towards guest posts. One of the most popular posts I had on my site early on was uh, five lessons from a failed copywriting pitch. 
And, and I just, I had this really bad experience where I totally had a train wreck of a meeting, uh, sit down with a new client. I dogged on them really hard. I was too aggressive. I wasn't like at all loving or understanding. And then I just got like torn apart in the parking lot afterwards. It was pretty raw. And the, you know, the, the choice at that point is like, do I just embrace that? Do I push back against it? Do I let my pride tell me, no, it's them, not me? And that's great internally. But oh my gosh, when I, I threw that post out there, you know, it's my really small email list. And that's what helped me establish even relationships with folks like Jen Havis, Joanna Weeb, like herself commented on it, which blew my mind as a fanboy. They shared it. They joined my email list. And I get like actual responses back not just comments, but people who when I send that out, that's the stuff they write back to and creates those, you know, 1000 true fans, the diehard fans for myself. And it's always on the heels of that kind of authenticity and sharing what went wrong. I remember early in my digital marketing career, I wrote a post when I was working internally for a company. Essentially, I was basically just blogging for them. I wrote a post about all the things that their high school sports coach was doing wrong for them. And we immediately heard from every high school sports coach that was in our network. However, then we, right after that, heard from a bunch of leads in our network and we, and sales skyrocketed off the post. It was fantastic. Initially, I thought, it, you know, the shitstorm was coming. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous. And that's the counterintuitive let's get rejected thing. Because honestly, you're not going to do this unless you're willing to make rejection the goal, you know, and setting aside that fear, just like being really wide eyed and honest about it. And again, that's what I love so much about Domino's. That's what's been so great about the way Chipotle has responded to their own like giant fiasco is they've just been insanely open-handed about it and honest and real. It isn't spin. I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to make it sound cheaper than it is. It can obviously be done that way, but the darkness, the what I've done wrong and then the willingness to admit that and then build from it. So for all of our listeners, number one big takeaway they can take from this is obviously let's get rejected. But if there's one tip you could pass along as far as how they could improve their current content marketing strategy, what would it be? Yeah, start to see everything you put out underneath that lens of heaven and hell, salvation, emotionally driven, ripping off your audience so you get their own words from them. I work with sort of an army of freelancers behind the scenes, so I put a ton of stuff out under my name. And I've got some folks that are sort of, you know, five or six steps behind me in their career who I make them do the heavy lifting and the researching and all that good stuff. And what I always see the difference between an article that's at like a six or a seven that's decent, taking it up to a 10 that could really get published on a big name site is leading with the pain and the fear. Diving into that emotion from the jump. That's what gets people into it. That's the number one tip where uh, it falls apart. And then can I do a number two? Absolutely. Number two, this is so lame. I'm a college instructor. I teach communication and philosophy. And I am like such a obsessive compulsive with my students about outlining. And that's the other place where sixes, sevens go up to tens is having a really insanely clear structure, which is a great like counterpoint to lead with emotions, include stories, make a touchy feely and lock that structure down. Lists, clear transitions, telling your audience, this is what you're going to get out of it, delivering in the body, and then just regurgitating that in the conclusion, having that consistency. My gosh, structure is such a big deal for, for anything from landing pages, product description pages, and especially blog posts and articles. And even this podcast. Well, on that note, we have reached the end of our outline. So Aaron, it's been awesome having you on today. Is there anything else you want to plug? Absolutely. I have what just 
released uh, through Unbounce. So this is perfect. It's like we started our relationship with Unbounce, talked about it in the podcast, and now we're going to end with it. I had a moment of insight. And again, back to like the Google Trends kind of thing. Obviously, this is a no-brainer. Big thing right now everywhere is the campaigns, the presidential elections here in America. And I have no idea why no one else had done this before, but this this one moment of insight waking up in the middle of the night of we should do an entire post CRO-related, conversion-related, just tearing down the two current sites, the Trump site and the Clinton site. So I floated that idea by Unbounce and uh, early on connected with Hillary Clinton's chief conversion rate optimizer, which was unbelievable. I can't believe the guy actually got back to me on Twitter. And then just this snowball effect happened. I started reaching out to every dream person I've ever wanted to work with, write with. It was the perfect coming together of like timing the idea, that sweet spot for them. And so we dropped this 5,000 plus word article, which is so huge, especially for Unbounds, even though they do long ones. This one was a beast. It's crazy. And it is a, it's a who's who of CRO, copywriting, online marketing. And it was insanely humbling to get to work with these people. And I can't believe I'm playing at the same level as them. I just, I feel like I'm pretending and they were so amazing and nice. Well, I'm excited to go read it. And I hope some campaigns read it because I've seen some awful landing pages from different campaigns over the years. Yeah. Well, awesome, Aaron. Uh, Thanks again for coming on and uh, we'll hopefully talk soon. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Brian. And uh, if anybody hasn't listened to Brian's talk, go to that CTA comp. Hopefully he'll include it in the, the show notes there. If for anything, oh my gosh, your opener was phenomenal. I won't, I won't spoil it for anybody that doesn't want to see it. You can even just see the pictures of it. Brian did something incredibly clever that immediately connected him with his audience. That identification, I'm like you, let's talk to each other. It, it was fantastic, man. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Aaron. So go watch my talk, everybody. All right. Awesome. Talk to you soon. All right, sir. 